When Billy was little, he was a real demon. One day as he came home from elementary school, he did not know that the pastor was visiting his parents in the home. As he went around the backyard, there he saw a big, hairy rat. Billy got thinking, wow, my mom and dad would be so proud of me if I could kill that rat. So Billy went and got his baseball bat, sneaked up behind the rat, whap, he hit the rat, then he stepped on the rat, he stomped the rat, then he picked it up, smashed it against a tree, and then ran it through with a knife. He was so excited. He picks up the rat, runs into the house, not knowing that the minister is there. And he said, Mom and Dad, look what I've done. I've killed a rat. I saw it in the backyard, so I bashed it with the bat. I stepped on it with my foot. I stomped on it. I smashed it against a tree. And then I ran it through with my knife. Right then, Billy sees the minister. Then, with a solemn look, he bowed his head, held it up by his tail, and said, and the Lord took him home. (laughs) Oh, the inhabitants of the earth probably feel like the rat that has been clubbed, stepped on, smashed with a foot, bashed against a tree, and then run through with a knife. However, they, unlike Billy, don't have a change of demeanor. Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 9? And as you're turning to Revelation uh, chapter 9, let me toss a question your way. What dangers are unrepentant sinners exposed to? You reject the Lord Jesus Christ What can the unrepentant sinner expect? Revelation chapter 9, we had just looked at the demon locust in verses 1 through 12. A scary horde they are. And the narrative continues. 9, 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in a vision Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came smoke, fire, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their powers in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons 
and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for keeping the church of Jesus Christ from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole earth. But Lord, when we think of your wrath being poured out on the inhabitants of the earth, we see your fury. We better understand your just nature. So Lord, I pray that even for the believers who hear the sermon and then those who do not know you, that both would repent accordingly. The former group, Lord, to make their hearts right with you by living godly lives. And the latter, to come into a relationship with you by believing in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for their sin and was raised from the dead. Minister to each heart today as only you can. We are dependent upon the spirit of truth to guide us now. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Coming now down to verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded. The sixth trumpet judgment, because remember now we're in the series of trumpet judgments, seven seals, then seven trumpets, and we'll finally get to seven bowls. This is the sixth trumpet judgment, is also the second of three woes. Back in chapter 8, in verse 13, you had an angel flying through the sky saying, and listen carefully, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The three woes represent the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgments. This is now coming into the second woe, which is the sixth trumpet judgment. John writes, and I heard a voice. So you can ask the question, whose voice? From the four horns of the golden altar. You might also ask, which altar? Notice that this is before God. Uh, the only golden altar, by the way, is the altar of incense. What 9.13 is pointing us back to is chapter 8 in verses 3 and 4. So let's go there for a moment. Revelation 8. 3 and 4, then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Which altar? Notice it goes on to say he was given much incense. This is the altar of incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So, it is very possible that now it is the angel there that is speaking. Now, as we take this even back a step further, we wind up back at chapter 6 in verses 9 and 10. There we have the connection made with the fifth seal judgment. Remember the souls under the altar, those who are martyred throughout the tribulation period, crying out, O Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood? 
So we have here a connection going from chapter 9, verse 13, back to chapter 8, and then back even to chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. So maybe it's the angel now at that altar that is saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet. Uh, it is noteworthy that this is the first time that the angel blowing the trumpet has a commission himself. This is the first. He now gives the command, and listen carefully, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. I want to draw your attention to the word release from the Greek verb luo. This is an imperative here, lusan. And the angel blowing the trumpet is commanded to loose the four bound angels. I want you to observe the words. You might want to underline these because as it's referring to the angels, who are bound. Uh, the verb here is a perfect tense verb. A completed action in the past with the results continuing. These angels were bound in the past and the results continuing. Now, I want you to observe here that these angels are most likely demons since only angels that are bound are demons. 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 6 they refer to angels who kept not their first estate, but who are bound in everlasting chains of darkness, fall, speaking of their fallen condition, and they have reservations for the day of judgment. And the other great angel, if you will, that will be bound in the future, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2, refers to the devil. So when we see these four angels bound, it clearly shows us that they are demons. And now we have the location of the angels given at the great river Euphrates. Why are they bound at this particular location? Thomas writes, the Euphrates forms one of the borders of the land promised to Abraham, Genesis 15, 18, and is the river that the enemies of God will cross prior to the last conflict before the millennium. That's Revelation 16 in verse 12. When it comes to the end time events, there is a hub of activity right there by the Euphrates. Now, as you're coming down with me to the next verse, verse 15, I want you to see that even the demons have purpose. It says in verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. Although they are bound demons, they have a task appointed to them. They have a mandate to carry out. And notice what it says here, their purpose to kill a third of mankind. Let those words sink in to your minds. To kill a third of mankind. The fourth seal judgment, back in chapter 6 and verse 8, killed one-fourth of the earth's population. Here, we have a third of the remaining killed. Overall, that's half of the world's population. So, if you had six billion people, it's down to three. And that's not even counting 
the deaths from famines, wars, etc. Once again, I bring you back to Matthew 24, 22, where Jesus says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. The tribulation is limited to seven years, the great tribulation to the latter half, three and a half years, and unless it was consolidated as it is, you would not have anybody survive. Verse 16 now introduces us to an army. Now I want to point out as you look at the Greek manuscripts that the evidence is sort of split. And let me explain what I mean. Verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. The word number here, ha, arithmos. Here the word arithmetic. The number is not an estimate because John heard the number. It's not like he's looking out and trying to guess how many are there. He does not. He is told the number. Now some of the Greek manuscripts say 200 million. Literally 10,000 times 10,000 times 2, which equals 200 million. Um, But the greater part of the majority text, when you take all the existing manuscripts and look at them, has the words myriads of myriads, which means an innumerable number, much like back in chapter 5 and verse 11. Either way, the number is extraordinarily large. Who is this army? Uh, John Walverd writes, Considering the millions of people in the Orient, the literal interpretation is not impossible, especially in view of the population explosion. Walverd sees a literal army, but may I give you three reasons why I do not believe it's a literal fighting army? First of all, Revelation 9.17 shows that the horses do the destruction. No army in the history of mankind has ever been fought by just horses. Number two, Revelation 9.14 shows that the four angels who loose the host are demons. So it would seem to make sense that they're loosing also demons. And then the fifth trumpet judgment, just prior to our text today, involved demonic activity, locust, uh, which I think corresponds to the sixth trumpet judgment here. The nature is that of demonic activity. Now down to verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Uh, Horses in the book of Revelation deal at times with war. Uh, The first seal judgment, there was a horse warfare. When Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, he's on a horse. Those who sat on them had brass plates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. Uh, I want to draw your attention to the verb had, it contests. Uh, A.T. Robertson, Greek scholar, says this is probably referring to the riders. In other words, it's the riders who have on these breastplates. But I like to mention that Thomas, uh, another scholar, says in the description, the stronger possibility is that it applies to the horses as well because they are the main subject of the rest of the description. Much like the demon locust, 
who carry a military prowess. They had on protective gear. I think just showing that no one was going to thwart the effort of the demon locusts. You have the same thing with the horses here, which is um, frightful. Notice the description continues, and the heads of the horses were like. Again, stop on the word like. Uh, last portion of scripture we studied, chapter 9, 1 through 12, we looked at the many uses of like and as. When you count in the New King James Version, like and as, you have 13 references, more than any other chapter in the Bible. So they were like the heads of lions. Uh, these are not earthly horses, but demonic creatures. Notice what proceeds from them. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. Again, this is unique. It's the horses that cause the destruction. Our word brimstone, <clears throat> according to vines, originally denotes fire from heaven. And it is connected with sulfur. Uh, this term uh, is used seven times from the Greek New Testament. Uh, six of those are in the book of Revelation. The other one is Luke 17, 29, referring there to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. What's the result? Verse 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire, by the smoke, and then the brimstone which came out of the horse's mouths. A further description is now given down in verse 19. For their power is in their mouth and their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads. Again, the word like is because John has never seen anything like this. There is really nothing to compare this to from what he has observed. And it's perhaps here the idea is that the horse's tails, like serpents, bite people inflicting pain. Because our text ends in verse 19, and with them they do harm. The word harm means to hurt harm. It's the same term used Back in chapter 9 in verse 10. Look at the end of 9.10. Speaking about the demon locusts. Their power was to hurt, there's your word, hurt men. How long? Five months. So the term expresses the pain that these individuals will suffer who are attacked by these demonic creatures. Now you would think that after going through the demon locust, being petrified by them tormenting people for five months. And now another wave of demonic activity that the people would throw up their hands and repent. You would think that would be the response that would be given, but that's not the case here. Uh, we're still in chapter 9. Just quickly look at verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual morality, or their thefts. They have become recalcitrant. They will not repent. They are shaking their fists toward heaven and saying, we will not bow to you. And it only gets worse over in chapter 16. And as you're turning to Revelation 16, you sort of have to think about the Pharaoh. 
having seen God's power. And the more he rejected, the harder his heart got. So is the case here in the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 16, coming down to verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. They don't change. They would rather remain idol worshipers than repent and turn to the true God. See, and because they would not repent of the work of their hands, see, the idols that they've created, that they should not worship demons. What's behind an idol? Demons. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. You have to remember that behind the idol, doesn't matter if it's made gold, silver, stones, you have demons. Anything to take away the worship from the true God is what Satan desires to do. See, the idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. These men would rather worship inanimate objects than the true God. How bad is it? Turn with me to Psalm 115, please. Psalm 115. Psalm 115, I think, is a masterful description of those who make idols and then worship them. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles, think about the heathen here, say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. See, dumb. So is everyone who trusts in them. Let's break down now back in Revelation 9 and verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. Their murders. They're imitating their father, Satan, who in John chapter 8 and verse 44 is called not only a liar, but he is a murderer. They also are involved with sorceries, sorceries. The word includes drug use, uh, pharmacone, pharmacy is, gives us the English word. So they have sorceries as well, sexual immoralities like incest. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Then also pre and extramarital sex. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 8. They won't repent of these things or their thefts. Their hearts are revealed as the tribulation plays out. 
They have not changed their hearts because they have not repented before the true God. So what dangers are unrepentant sinners exposed to? What dangers? Here is our main point for today's sermon. Unrepentant sinners experience satanic attacks and God's wrath. Let me say that again. Unrepentant sinners experience satanic attacks and God's wrath. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's time for you to repent. And what do I mean by repent? You need to change your thinking concerning who Jesus Christ is. Because the Spirit of God has a ministry globally to convict a world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You need to repent while there is still time to repent. We saw back in chapter 6 and verse 8 of this book, a fourth of mankind is killed at. So where do they go after that? Then we had a third of mankind. See, it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Here's the danger, friend, that as you see the revelation of God through creation, and you recognize his majesty through the sun, the moon, the stars, and you stand in awe. And then when you think about your conscience, where did that come from? It came from God. And then you look at even people, seven billion of us, all made in the image of God. How do we exist? How does this universe stay in motion? We know there's a God who has not only created the world in us, but sustains the world and us. And then in particular, you need to think about the gospel, euangelion, which means good news. What's the good news? The good news is for you. Jesus came to earth. See, he left heaven, was born of a virgin. Perhaps you know the story of Mary. And then he led a sinless life. Christ came and he fulfilled the law. None of us can keep the Ten Commandments. None of us can go without being fornicators or adulterers, at least in our minds. Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has already committed the sin of adultery in their heart. None of us can stay away from being a murderer because, see, Jesus gives the connection that if you hate someone, that is equivalent to being a murderer. And it goes on and on and on. And how about the lies we tell? So if you've even told one lie, what does that make you? It makes you a liar. So why did Christ come? He had never sinned. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. In other words, he became our substitute. Jesus led the perfect life. And at the right time, he went to the cross to take your sin, all your sin, upon himself. He took your place and my place. So what do you need to do? You need to repent. You need to change your thinking about who Jesus Christ is and say, yes, he is God. Yes, he came to die for my sin and I'm a sinner. And then to put your faith, trust, reliance upon Jesus Christ who died for your sin 
and then conquered death. See, Jesus not only died, yes, he took your sin upon himself, but then on the third day, he took his life back again. Jesus himself said, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I can take it back up again. This is exactly what he had done today for you. By repenting, changing your thinking about who Jesus Christ is, and then receiving by faith the gift. It's a gift. You don't earn it. The price has been paid. He cries out, it is finished. It was paid in full. And now you just need to put your faith in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Put your faith in the finished work of Christ and receive the gift of eternal life. That's what you need to do. And if you do not, you will experience the wrath of God. And if you are here at the time of the tribulation, you will enter that period of time and then even worse, a period of eternal damnation that lasts forever and ever and ever. Put your faith in Christ. And if you are saved and you know Jesus Christ, perhaps you need to repent as well. And you go, well, what do we need to repent from? In the book of Revelation chapter two, Jesus evaluated the church of Ephesus. They had walked away from their first love. It seems like when you look at the New Testament and the body of evidence with the church of Ephesus, they became materialistic. Recall Jesus' words from Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. And that church that at one time had Christ as a priority slipped him off the throne of their hearts and put another God in his place. So what do we have in Revelation 2, the command to repent and return to your first love? To the church of Pergamos in chapter 2 and verse 16, we learn about their plight, and they needed to repent of sexual morality and idolatry. And then over in to the church of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, they were spiritually lethargic. They were lazy Christians who were not watchful. And as the history of Sardis teaches us, that that up high and lifted city that seemed to be impregnable got attacked and overthrown, not once, but twice. So we need to repent if we've been an indifferent Christian that's what we need to do. We also need to understand that pain at times in our lives is given in order that we might repent. Craig Brian Larson writes, all of us tend to avoid pain. Sometimes, though, avoiding pain can lead to much greater suffering. Consider the story of William, the refrigerator Perry. He was a colorful defensive lineman for the Chicago Bears when they won the Super Bowl back in 1985. I remember it well. His nickname fit him well because he was big and wide. Perry was also a friendly man with a wide grin. Unfortunately, 
For his grin, though he was a mammoth man playing in a tough world of the football trenches, he apparently was afraid of the dentist. Just like most of us, he was afraid that he didn't go to the dentist, and he didn't go for 20 years. He didn't go to the dentist even though his teeth and gums hurt terribly, even though his teeth began falling out. Eventually, he had lost half of his teeth. Some he pulled out himself, and his gums suffered chronic infection. He was suffering. Finally, as he neared age 45, he went to the dentist. The dentist had to pull out all of his remaining teeth, he had to insert screws in Perry's jaw and implant new teeth, all of which would have cost Perry $60,000, except the dentist donated a procedure. Apparently, he wanted a little bit of publicity. See, pain can be good. It alerts us that something is wrong. And when pain brings repentance, then it is a good thing. But remember this, only Christ, only Christ, can protect you from satanic attacks because he alone satisfied the wrath of God. The soul that sins, says Ezekiel 18, it's going to die. And mankind had moved away from God. So what did God do in his love? He sent us his only begotten son. That on the cross as there was the darkness from noon to three. A picture of, of the sin of the world hovering over the sinless Son of God, Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God. And as a result of that and satisfying because of the perfect sacrifice, he was the Lamb of God who took away the sin, notice that the word is singular there, of the world. We need to look to him for salvation. So if you've known pain You've known sorrow. You've known discomfort. Allow that pain to drive you to the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him today. And in closing, I, I'd like to draw your attention to one more verse. It's Proverbs chapter 29 in verse 1. I want you to think about this in light of the tribulation period and what the people are suffering and their response to the Lord. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck, in other words, he won't bow, will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Our lives are but a vapor, says James in chapter 4 and verse 14. They're here for a moment and they're gone. And maybe you've been hearing a relative a co-worker, a preacher on the TV or radio telling you that you need to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you've put it off. You've put it off. You've put it off. See, he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly, see, if, well, it comes out of the blue. He will be destroyed, but that without remedy. And when your life is over, there's no second chance. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ today. 
understand who he is. He's the God man. He left paradise, heaven, to come down here to be rejected by his family. His own brothers did not believe in him. He was then rejected by his own people. He came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Become a child of God today. Turn from your sin of unbelief. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Experience the joy of being right with your God. And then one day when you die, absent from the body, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.8, is present with the Lord. And child of God, child of God, don't continue to be rebuked and harden your neck. When there's an error in your life that Almighty God is dealing with, bow before Him, repent, Get back into that right relationship with him in order that you can be a fruitful Christian and accomplish his purpose for your life. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Your word is powerful. It's eternal. It's living and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I, I pray for those today who do not know Jesus Christ that they would repent that they would change their thinking, that they would recognize that they are living in unbelief and turn to Jesus Christ who alone can offer the gift of eternal life. The one who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one goes to the Father except through him. I pray there'd be many that would put their faith in the one who died for their sin and then conquered death. May that happen even right now. And then, Lord, many children of God have gone down the wrong path. They're not representing you well. They're not walking with you. Thefts, immorality, and on and on and on. Materialism. So I pray you would cause them to repent today. And, Lord, may they not be like the individual who has often been rebuked but will not bow that is suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. Do great things today, Lord, through the powerful word of God, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.